It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi. Who's there? Morning. This is Shoshana. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm feeling well. Sophia online. Hi, Sophia. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to you guys. Let's see here. The recording has started. Okay. Seems like it's automatically recording. That's good. All right. Um, did anyone call through the computer? I'm just curious. I'm sending uh, Annie. No. Um, no. Yes. Okay. Yes, I did. Oh, good. You did? Did you use the 724 number or the 66213 number? <clears throat> The three one zero number. So what? It just said it just said join in. I just hit the join in. Oh. You just hit directly from talk show. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Did you do it through Skype? Oh no. No, just directly on the on the internet. Okay, you're, but you're just getting audio through it. Okay, that's good to know. Let me um just tell Annie. Yes, I can get I can hear our conversation on the phone on the computer. Okay, great. <clears throat> How many hours ahead of us is Germany? Seven. Um, I don't think it's the same as England. Is it? Is it? It might be. It's either six, six? or seven. I think. Yeah, yeah something okay. like that. Not bad at all. <clears throat> yeah. Probably because the UK is five. Yeah, that's true. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm just. Um, I was gonna go over to Arsalie's to have the call, but she's she's building her kids' bunk beds. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw that message. It was really cute. Um, but yeah, we, it was nice. Um, we had some of some doulas over my house on Saturday. It was a shame because uh, not a lot of people could have like could uh, come. I think it was just like a bad afternoon um, for uh-huh. people for scheduling. But it was still really nice. Yeah. Um, Good. Yeah, it was fun. And Simone and I are going to try and play on the next event. Uh, and next week I'm helping her because I don't really have... Oh, awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> Let us know if you guys need anything. Um, it's especially it's for anyone interested in the training sure. in December. I can mail stuff out to you this week. Okay. 
I'll uh, um, pass that message along to her. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, like we have, you know, just cards with information. Yeah. Just stuff. Kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so nice. <clears throat> yeah. Hi, it's Deepa. Hi, Deepa. Hi, Deepa. Deepa, did you get my email? Deepa. Did you hear me? <clears throat> Um, let's check in a little bit with whoever's on the phone. Does anyone have any, like, questions or anything going on right now that they want to talk about while we're waiting? <clears throat> That's just, like, I don't know, maybe a little bit unrelated to pushed just general things. Uh, you know, I think I'm still struggling with um, having just, like, quit my job a few weeks ago to try mm-hmm. and fully commit to this and um you know it's it's one of those things where people everyone like all the girls on Saturday and other people I talk to they're like just don't worry about it like there sometimes it's like you have a really you know you know things just don't pick up when you want them to and you have to let it be and I'm trying to kind of let the universe do it Sorry. I lost the call. I'm in a place that has poor service. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> are you going to be around for the holidays, Shoshana? Like, are you planning to work through them? It's always um, a really great I, time to pick up a lot of birds. Yeah. The only, I'm leaving, we're going to be gone, Andre and I are leaving like a few days after Christmas and we'll be gone for hopefully like for like about five to six days after New Year's, like from like the 28th through the 2nd or 3rd. Only reason, I would like to stay, but that's the only time he gets like a paid vacation through his job, so we have to, we kind of have to take advantage of it because we can't really Mm -hmm. like have him take a, a break that he doesn't get paid for any other time of the year. Yeah. Well, that's understandable. So, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I totally, like, but, yeah, no, I mean, I'm trying to, I don't know. It's like a whole thing. <laughs> okay. Well. So, and, you know, <laughs> it's only been a few weeks. Like, it's, it's just, like, this week will be a month. Okay, they're all telling something. Hi, guys. It's Arsley. Hi, Arsley. Good morning. Good morning. morning. I hear little ones. Are those your little ones? Probably. That's Phoenix. You're right. Hi, Pete. (laughs) They're uh, painting right now to keep them occupied while we try to um, assemble their bunk bed. Okay. I'm just going um, to wait a few minutes to let everyone join and see if I can help Annie out. She can hear us, but she can't talk, so we're having an issue. With that, I just want to see if I can Google some stuff for her. So you guys talk 
tuck them and feed yourselves. Yeah. Partially talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. Partially talk amongst yourselves. Is Evan home also to help with the bed yeah. or no? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah, this is definitely a two-person job. Well, yeah, I was going to say I'd come over later and help if it was just you. Oh, thanks. No, yeah, that's, he's, he's like home my, today. Yeah, my favorite thing is not building. I, keep, I, <laughs> I actually enjoy building. It's not a bad thing. It's just building with the kids around and trying to, you know, make them under, like, you know, trying to also include them and, like, find things yeah. for them that, that they can yeah. do um, without breaking anything. <laughs> that's very nice of you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm also hoping that it makes them that much more excited to actually stay in the bunk bed. Sure. Stay out of your How's the rest of your weekend? Is it just Good the two weekend. of us right now? I think so. I don't know. We went apple picking, <gasps> and I made... We got so much apples. I actually... I'm going to bring some applesauce over later. This week, awesome. Whatever you're free, I have so much. Yes. Who's bringing over applesauce? Shoshana. I I went apple picking <laughs> yesterday, and I guess I think everyone and their mother went apple picking yesterday <laughs> because the line was. We wait. We to park our car in the lot. We waited 30 minutes sitting in our car just to park it. Oh yeah, yeah. Where did you go? We went to this place called Wilkins or Wilkers, somewhere up, like in Westchester County. Okay. But it was just so ridiculous. So when we got, we finally, like, got through the line, we're like, we're bringing home motherfucking apples. Like, I (laughs) I probably spent, like, $40 on apples. Yeah. So we went went out a couple of weekends ago to Long Island for apple picking. And we thought we were, like, beating, because it was even September still. It was, like, September 3rd. So I'm like, all right, it's September, so nobody else is going to be out here. And it was just, like, Apple Festival, and there's the coordinates. Where did you go to apple picking in Long Island? Because we were looking for a place in Long Island and couldn't find anywhere. Oh, really? No, we, it's um, something like Harbs, H-A-R-B-E-S, something like that. Because we're so much closer to Long Island than Westchester. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's uh, and we went with friends who don't have children, so it was half wine tasting and half pumpkin apple picking. Oh, my God. Oh, that <laughs> I could have been way drinking to do too. it. Damn. Oh, way my God. Go. I'm so mad right now, Amanda. <laughs> It was a snowfall. You could go next weekend. It's all right. <laughs> oh, I'm done. I've hit my limit. I bet I there's some really, really good places in yeah in Long Island to see that cause there's I was looking of, up. They were saying like that they didn't have apple picking, but they were like a farm or something. And I was like, well, that's yeah. the point. Right. Yeah. No, this one we definitely picked off the trees. God damn it. Yeah. We didn't even pick off the trees. This place was picked to death. We had to pick off the apples off the ground. Oh God! Oh, oh, no. oh Dad. Oh well. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm just gonna do like some a shout out right now. Stacy, can you are you here and can you talk? 
<laughs> and Annie, can you talk? I know you, I think you guys can listen. Just doing some troubleshooting here while we're getting ready. <coughs> Doesn't seem like they can talk. Um, Sophia, can you share with them because they can hear what you did so that you what you did when you called in that's working for you? Because I think oh. they're in a similar situation. Okay. Um, in the email, um, it says join from your computer. And when you click, click here to join the caller, just listen along, it brings you to the talk shoe site directly to the DTI Brooklyn 2015 call. And it says live now. And it says under there, there's a tab that says join in. I just click that. And if you're not a TalkShoe member, you just click um, join in as a guest. Okay. Sophia, you're such a kindergarten teacher with those instructions. Like anybody can follow them. They were and so I was calm. like listening so intently. I was like, Me too. Okay. I was like, Why am I listening? I'm already on the call. Did everyone hear that? Okay. <laughs> well, who's with us? I see a bunch of people. Laughing. I was a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> I think there's a natural like there's a natural sort of like flow between kindergarten teacher and doula. Like, short, simple statements that are easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty glad that we're doing the, the book pushed because yeah. I felt like this weekend I was pushed mm. um, with a with a couple um, that you know swore they didn't need any help and then ended up in the hospital and then while they were already in the hospital. That is the point in time they were just contacting me. So over the past few days, I have been typing like crazy on my phone, mm-hmm. and, um, coaching the dad. And um, afterwards, he was just like, he feels like he's a he's a birth specialist. <laughs> um, but the mom the mom um, had to have a C-section by midnight this morning. Mhm. So, yeah, there's a lot. So did they a lot going did, on? Did you meet them before, and they like just decided they didn't need to hire a doula, or they're just people you knew or something? No, I I met them six weeks ago, uh-huh. and um, had offered to be of support and that sort of thing, and they were just kind of non-responsive. Um. And whenever I did, you know, reach out to them, it would take like a day or two before they responded mm-hmm. or a few hours before they responded. Um, but I just decided to shake it off because based on what I had heard, and actually when I was introduced to them, it was at her baby shower. <laughs> so I was invited to a baby shower and... Um, and I was there to actually help uh, preparing and setting up the event. 
and only to find out that the woman may actually be a cousin of mine and all kinds of mess. Um, so, so that's how we connected and, you know, they had a little thing at their house afterwards. So I was there. But I had my sister kind of listening while I was kind of like doing stuff in the kitchen. And when I came and sat in the living room with the other ladies, um, I got to pick up on one aspect of the conversation where uh, they hired a doctor who all the nurses and other doctors seemed to be afraid of. And this doctor was at Sarah Lawrence, which has an extremely high rate of C-section. And um, somewhere five months in, the, the, the baby was not positioned right, and he was already talking about C-section, and, um, and when she went to her follow-up visit, the baby turned head down, and he was actually angry, and was just like, damn it, and I was like, what? <laughs> so I'm listening to all of this information, and I thought to myself, mm, the possibility of you guys not having a C-section is going to be... Um, quite low, you know, unless things happen like from home. So um, for that purpose, even though they weren't really reaching back, I kind of just kept my line open. Mm. And, um, and so the baby, they didn't feel the baby moving Saturday. The baby was very, you know, um, active Friday. They didn't feel the baby move all day Saturday, and so they rushed in, and so for the last two days, I've been on the phone with them, but they weren't releasing all of the information, so I thought they were home, and they were asking me there are some things that they can do, and I'm telling them, listen, it's a mind-body thing, and it's not just about what you do, you know, even when you do go in, and if you have to be induced, what kind of induction you're going to have not knowing that they were checking in all this time <laughs> into the hospital. And here am I, like, writing out every possible induction there is and the, the pros and cons to it. And then they're like, actually, we're here. And, yes, mm. we are going to actually serve the deal. And so at that point now, it's like a light bulb turned on in the husband's head, and he's kind of like, uh, we need somebody. But yet they're still trying to do it alone. So um, I was the only person who was made privy. They didn't want me to tell anybody else. Um, I, think, I think as a couple, because they've been married for nine years and they're just having a baby, I think they really wanted it to be a bonding thing just for them. So I don't think it's so much so that they wouldn't take support, but they just saw support as a third wheel and they mm-hmm. just wanted to be for them. Mm-hmm. And um, I can understand that to some degree. I think it was otherwise. I can understand it. So I, I, I gave them support from the phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, and when they got to the point where they realized they may have to do it, um, the wife, got on the phone and she said to me, I told him, there's no way I am going to go ahead with a C-section unless you say it's okay. 
I'm like, say I can't what? hear to what I say. Like, all of a sudden, it's just like, anything I told them, though, um, they really seem to have applied it. Like, they were able to create their own space mm-hmm. um, because they were understanding the lingua more and stuff like that. So it was, it was a very good experience in the middle of the night. I had to connect with um, a midwife in California and get some... <laughs> get some information and pass it on to them and stuff like that. But the baby's here and he's healthy, seven pounds, eleven ounces. Um yeah. yeah. I just hope they're ready for the 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 healing the healing part, you know, at home and stuff. So I mean <clears throat> are they are they that so that you could could you offer them postpartum support? Oh yeah. Yeah I did. I did. I did. Yeah, maybe that. I mean, I know think, maybe I think, that's where I think the... from the get go, they really only wanted me for postpartum. They just mm-hmm. wanted the birth to themselves. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what actually happens because they weren't. They really didn't expect that they were going to get a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's an interesting thing I'm finding out as I meet more professional and successful couples. Mm-hmm. Um. They think that there's an automatic transition from the success that they have in their work life, their social life. They think it automatically happens in birth. Right. Yeah. So that, that's it's um, really a shock to their system that it just doesn't happen. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a really, um, I think that's a, a running theme in the book, Push, is just illuminating the reality of mm-hmm. maternity care system versus, you know, what, what many people walk into, um, the, the lack of knowledge and the lack of um, education around what the climate is, right? And this book was, even though this book was written several years ago, um, it's it's very, I think it really paints this other picture about yeah. maternal health. That um, you know, if you're only reading what you expect when you're expecting, clearly you're going into a birth with a really different set of information. Um, yes. So let's talk about you know. Um, I'd love to hear from everyone. How, how does this book shape how you um, approach your clients? How you as a doula feel um, you're practicing now? Does knowledge like this shift or? trigger other aspects of yourself as a doula? Um, you know, do you start questioning um, the things you're doing in your own practice or some of the language you may be using in birth or some of the language you're using in prenatal in the way that you um, disseminate this information when you're in prenatal or postpartum visits? How are you, how does this book shape your work? Or you could also talk about what, what in this book really like, really stood out or, or, you know, was a moment where you said, wow, I didn't realize that, or, <clears throat> or maybe you did Hi. have a sense. This is Hi. Danielle. Good morning, Hi, Danielle. everybody. Good morning. Um, I would like to share, if I could, um, so this book is, is so true on all fronts. So in the community where I am, I've lived here for a year, and I've met at least, I can say concretely, 
like 50 expecting women who this is their at least their second child on up to their third, fourth child. And I haven't met one person yet who has had a vaginal birth. So if you take mm. the at least 50 women, and I've been, I've been starting to journal this out just to keep better track, but right. 50 women times at least, let's just be safe and say two and a half births. I mean, it is just so unbelievable. And I am a full fully supportive of cesarean births, especially mm-hmm. for women who want them, if they're victims of trauma, if they're, you know, terrified of childbirth, if their birth, child labor necessitates that they have a cesarean, I am fully supportive. But I just find it so hard to believe that every woman I meet in my community that has such big families and so many attempts at birth have all had cesareans. <coughs> haven't met one who has ever attempted a VBAC or who even seems remotely interested in having a VBAC, um, which I would never encourage anyone to have a VBAC. I think that's something that they should strongly desire for themselves because it does seem to be, you know, a big, long journey. But, um, yeah, I find it very discouraging. (laughs) Danielle, I mean, do you have there a are birth? women who have vaginal births here, but um, this book really speaks true to my experience out here. And then through further investigation, Connecticut is one of the highest states of cesarean birth, like in the mm-hmm. U.S. So wow. It's really interesting. I was just thinking, um, do you have a sense of the cesarean, like local cesarean rates at the hospitals that you, you know, women are birthing in or particular practices? Um, and are are the are, like is are I guess they're not your clients yet, but are those people privy to that? <clears throat> yeah, I found one practice, and, and it's one gentleman who's fully supportive of VBAC, mm-hmm. and I hope to meet with him to learn more because even when you go on his website, you know he just talks about natural childbirth, and I guess he ran a clinic that oversaw like 50 midwives in another part of the U.S., so I really hope to meet with him to learn more. Is he um, an OBGYN, Daniel? He, he is, okay. and so he cool. seems, you know, really amazing. But what's interesting is in, in a county of Connecticut that has such large families and so many births, he's only a practice of one. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I don't know if that goes to show how many clients he does or does not have, but... Um, I'm definitely going to be reaching out with him. And luckily, I know I've shared with many of you, you know, just looking for support and encouragement about what I face up here. But I'm meeting with a local, um, semi-local hypnobirthing instructor who Mm -hmm. used him for her birth later this week. So I'm really excited about that. But um, just to say so far, the experience is, you know, all cesareans. Mm-hmm. And it's even women that I meet in my in my own life, raising my own family, being a new neighbor and a citizen in the community. It's not you know only only outreach to build a practice. So and it's definitely all around. It may really, um, you know, when I hear when I hear things like when you're surrounded by that type of culture, or that seems to be majority of people's experience for you as a doula to think about as you are like growing your own practice, offering more support circles uh, for post 
cesarean, like if there's not an ICANN chapter started in that area, um, mm-hmm. you know, or just other ways to address it that are yeah. supporting the community and also growing your practice and getting your work out there um, because, you know, there may be just a real <clears throat> lack of information mm-hmm. happening, especially if there are several practices and they're predominantly, you know, predominantly a medicalized kind of approach, um, you know, how to insert that education piece and advocacy mm-hmm. piece in your dual practice, in your community. Uh, could be something to explore just from a business point of view and support network, and building yeah, that support great. network. Thank you. That's great. Great feedback. And also, are they, um, is it a surgical, surgically mandatory hospital? Like, do they ban VBACs? Because that also raises the rates quite a bit. I know in Syracuse we have one hospital. They don't do VBACs. It's not an option there. So if someone mm-hmm. had a prior cesarean, they go straight to another one. Mm-hmm. So finding out which hospitals um, may ban VBACs is also worth knowing, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then doing some, you know, maybe in time as you grow, um, doing some advocacy around that because, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, it's all, um, it's not like, uh, I don't want to say this, this isn't like a policy that's universal. It's just a random hospital administration decision if a hospital mm-hmm. does VBACs or not. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, there's no, like, universal protocol that we abide by in maternity. Right. In maternity, right. You know, which is one of the problems. There's, like, no regulation. There's no um, transparency either. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's one of the things that really, like, in the book and also just, like, within my conversations with people and also just from, like, learning about the healthcare system through, like, my training and experience as a doula and all that, I think it's just um, that's one of the things that's upsetting to me is it's you know, you said it's not really a mandatory thing. It's not, like, mandated, but mm-hmm. people feel it is because it's coming from a hospital. It's like, uh, you know, Deborah Pascali Bonaro, the woman who did the donut training I went to, like, uh, one of the things she said that stuck out to me is, like, a hospital is the only place where we make other people feel like they're in prison besides prison. Mm-hmm. You know, like... You come in, you're forced to put on this, like, garment that everybody else is wearing and look the same, and you're, like, in labor, glued down to a bed, so you're, like, shackled almost, and you're made to, like, feel like you have no other choice but to be in that place. And if someone comes in and they say, you have to do A, B, or C, you just say, okay, and think that that's, like, correct and that you do have to do those things. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's just so unbelievable because when I think about it, you know, how the history of hospitals and labor, it just seems like such a short time, you know. It's almost, let's say, I guess, like in 10 years or something, it'll be yeah. 100 years since the hospital, like the new, like the modernized hospital in the mm-hmm. America. 
And that's a very short amount of time for the, the amount of time that people have been having babies. That is like a, you know, a small little dot, like, uh, you mm-hmm. know, on the map. Mm-hmm. And how in that hundred years, the whole process of labor and birth has been completely flipped upside down. But, you know, as, you know, Americans and our country were like, told to believe that America is the most modern like advanced country in the whole world and we have everything anyone ever needs and this and that, yet everywhere else in Europe they're having babies. Naturally it's not like, um, you know, looked at as something wrong or unnatural, you know, and that's something that really spoke to me in the book, like that they just talked about how here in like, this country, especially labor and birth is just, looked at as completely unnatural when it is the origin of natural. It's like the first thing that ever happened. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, how, how would you, like let's say you met with a couple and you could see right away at a prenatal that they had very little information. Maybe they never read a book or they read, you know, what to expect when you're expecting and they're really coming in without that knowledge. They just don't mm-hmm. have the information. They haven't, you know, maybe they've only heard scary birth stories or their only, re- you know, their only um, reference point is medicalized birth without any history behind it or a critique behind it. How are you going to address that as a doula? Like, how do you think it's important to weave that into the conversation? What are the ways that you um, feel like this information then changes how you practice? Uh, well, for me, one of the things that I, I did was to get some charts that I can use in, uh, in prenatal sessions. And I have one chart that lists out the typical um, inductions, the the medications that they use and that sort of thing. And it, it, it charts across the board um, the effectiveness, the pros, the cons, that sort of thing. I find that because because doulas are still not well known or understood in the general public, that when you do approach them with this kind of information, that will almost seem to to tackle uh, the the trust uh, that they have for their doctors or the knowledge that they see coming from their doctors that to just say it verbally doesn't hold as much water as giving them it in a document format. Saying, mm-hmm. okay, it is coming from this institution, da 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 I have no problem backing up anything that I say with someone else. I think for me, as long as I don't get into the headspace of thinking, um, I'm a professional and you should just believe what I say, just as how I think a doctor needs to back up anything he says with information as well, and not just because he or she's a doctor, you know. So that is, that is one thing. And then the other thing is there's information that I, I have come across that helps to weave information like from this book. So, for instance, I can piece other things together and kind of get them thinking so that it whets their appetite to find out more information. 
So, mm-hmm. for instance, I found out that in New York City, there are only 20 homeboys midwives. And I'm like, when I heard that, I was like, are you kidding me? In all of New York City, not, I said, you mean 20 agencies? And I'm like, and she said, no, 20 individuals who are licensed yeah. by the state to be able to conduct home births. Yeah, that's, and, and that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, and then I found that, that that has a whole different spin off in regards to birth certificates. So now I can understand why no one wants to ensure a doula in a home birth because only 20 persons are allowed to to administer birth at home and who can by the state regulations issue information so that a birth certificate is given. Now that's a serious situation because they're telling me that if a woman and a doula is home alone and she happens to spontaneously and quickly give birth at home, that she is going to be harassed to be able to have a birth certificate for her child. So there are systems pushing you to, in, to go into the hospital. Well, yeah. That's, 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 yeah. So that's it's not even just the hospital itself. It's, it's outside forces pushing you to say, hey, if you want ease of life, if you want your child to be registered as a citizen, and all of these sorts of things, go to the hospital. Wait, but are, maybe this is off topic, but I I don't understand what having a home birth has to do with getting a birth certificate. You guys, I want to. I, I don't want to get too yeah, off topic okay, with that. Good. Okay. So we can let sure post more. We can have a discussion about that piece on on our Facebook group. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, so, Christy, I'm hearing you say that you know, caring like. Starting that conversation by sharing information, easing in with your clients, um, you know, this larger idea that of the culture of birth through information. How, who else feels like they, they're using this and applying this to the prenatal work and to their doula work? Um, it, this is Arsley. Hi, everyone. Um, I feel like this, uh, it, you know, some of the information that I, and, and really, I mean, part of it largely, too, is just this, like, feeling um and and you know piecing together for various for like various clients what pieces of information like are relevant to them but i think the biggest thing is really kind of getting my clients to be in the mind frame where that they are consumers um and so in the same way that they would research like you know um, and compare different phones before getting, you know, a phone or a phone plan or whatever or a car um, that, you know, they have some due diligence that they need to, like, you know, that they need to do. So they have, you know, I supply them with lists of um, questions that they can ask their providers, and I have supply them with, you know, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell them, like, these are common procedures and these are, you know, various things. Do you know what you're doctor and or your provider and or your hospital's policies are? Do you know what the protocols are? How do you feel about those? And like, you know, sometimes 
you know, that first prenatal especially can feel kind of really bogged down with these kinds of details. And oftentimes, you know, I say you don't, these are things for you to think about. You don't need to, you know, I, you don't need to tell me the answers. These are for you to, you know, hash out and figure out how you're feeling about them so that you can have these conversations with your provider about how you want these things to be carried out. Um, and, you know, and and I think I, I haven't, I think especially sort of after the experience of the first birth that I, that I attended, um, I am a lot less um, shy about um, sharing, um, you know, negative information or sort of bad news, mm-hmm. not to scare them, you know, I, I like I want them to know sort of the whole spectrum and sort of the real deal of of what they're facing. Um, I don't want them, you know, having all these warm, fuzzy, cozy feelings with me, and then like you know, birthday comes and it's not that. Um, you know, I want my clients to be prepared, um, and so. Yeah, like I'll share stats from Push, so or I'll share stories, and um, and I I think that that has definitely like um, colored my my practice and my prenatals um, so that it's it's a lot more uh, honest and it's it's a lot more sort of comprehensive. I feel. Ursula, do you mind? Um, Sharing, this is Sophie, by the way. Do you mind sharing with everyone um, what you told me about, like, your first client? Because it reminded me a lot of this part in the book where the doula um, talked about how her experience of her client's birth was, like, a lot different than the way that the, the mm-hmm. client perceived it, um, which yeah. I thought the idea of, like, mm-hmm. that they bring up in the book. Um, yeah. Just, you know, making birth better for women. Or, you know, are we just making them feel better about their birth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, um, I mean, that's a great point, Sophie. Thanks so much for that. That that was sort of another huge thing was that, um, I guess, um, I felt like my clients from the first birth were sort of, they had a lot of, they were, I feel like they were sort of persuaded or, or frightened or coerced into making certain decisions. Um, you know, they weren't bullied. They weren't outright, like, told, this is what you have to do. Um, and so, you know, that's not what they were um, – that's sort of what they were expecting to have to face, and that isn't at all, you know, what happened. It was, you know, these subtle things, like, in the way that um, – you know, the language that the providers were using, mm-hmm. you know, things like saying, you know, well, these contractions are really inadequate, and so we're going to, um, I would, you know, I think that it would really be beneficial for you to, um, to for, for you to be on a low dose of Pitocin. Um, and, then, you know, they emphasize that it's a low dose and that, um, you know, they kept saying over and over, I think in the span of five minutes, the the term inadequate contractions was used mm-hmm. like five times, you know, um, and you know telling that and he, you know hearing that after you've been laboring like all night long um, and all morning long is 
is incredibly discouraging. Um, and, you know, at that point, you're just like, okay, well, um, yeah, it's a low dose, right? So we could do that. And so there was this almost, like, gentleness to the way that they were being, you know, guided to make their decisions. Um, And so ultimately, you know, they, they felt like their overall experience was, was, was positive. They were sad and um, they had wished that they had not um, undergone a cesarean, but, you know, they felt like ultimately, you know, it was really positive and they were like, oh, we were so glad you were there. But, you know, my, from my perspective, I was like, man, I feel like I, you know, I could have done more to prepare them, <laughs> um, like, you know, to, to sort of take their stand, or I could have done more to, to really, like, use more, like, stronger language to, to, you know, remind them, like, what their goals were and, um, you know, not to be so scared and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. This is Dima. Um, I just wanted to chime in because I so much appreciate Arsley what you just shared. I had a really, really similar experience in my mm. the first birth that I attended, mm. which was um I just felt like there was this urgency which mm. was disguised as gentleness. So there was this constant sense and this gets reinforced in the book, you know, so there was this constant sense of having to push the labor forward and have it operate on this very clear, clearly delineated time schedule. Mm-hmm. And that when it wasn't operating on that time schedule, that somehow the the mom was failing or was her body was not cooperating. Mm-hmm. So you know, very similar experience where she was encouraged to get Pitocin to speed her contractions up and then kind of had this domino effect of, you know, getting an epidural and then having, you know, the IV catheters and all of this placed. She was being made to feel by the physicians and the nurses that she was somehow um, like contributing to her own labor progressing at the right, quote unquote, right speed. When, you know, in fact, I don't know, one of the things that struck me so much about the book was how many of those decisions are really driven by fear and driven by mm-hmm. fear of fear of liability or convenience or a desire to, you know, make beds free or, you know, whatever. So I just feel so connected to what you just said. And I just feel like that is so common, like having this textbook yeah. experience of, you know, using this very subtly coercive language to make women mm-hmm. feel like the, the natural, the way that their body works is somehow dysfunctional. And mm-hmm. the only way to make childbirth work correctly is through medical intervention and mm-hmm. the illusion of that. And I think the book really talked about that really clearly too. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to... Um like take up too much time but I just also wanted to share that like it's not just it's not just OBs like it's just and I think that the the sort of idea of having to like guide or or like speed things along is just so pervasive 
Um, my second birth was with um, was my the mom was working with a midwife, and the midwife was otherwise really awesome. But you know, the mom's contractions had been really strong and really frequent, like from the get go. And you know, we got to the hospital; she was already seven centimeters. But when but you know, due to meconium, she had to be in the regular um, labor and delivery floor, and she was really upset about that. And um, and I think that kind of you know maybe stalled things a little bit for her, even though her contractions were still going really, really strong, and she was having a really hard, she was fighting really hard to kind of, um, uh, I guess you know really work with them. Um, the there was concern when you know after another check she had she she had instead of progressing she had actually like gone back down or, or her um her cervix was thickening and so the midwife was like you know you it seems like you're having these are really intense you're having a really hard time you know they for like a solid half an hour they were she and the husband were encouraging the mom to have an epidural and you know mom was was really struggling and I could see that she was sort of almost at a breaking point and it wasn't until you know I like I think we had to just be like you know you know that this is on the table do you need us to not talk about it anymore and and just let you deal and you know if you need it you can you can tell us and and at that point, like, then, you know, everybody kind of shut up about the epidural because she was really, really, I mean, these were intense contractions. She was definitely, like, late stage and approaching and um, approaching, uh, um, um, you know, pushing stage. And, I mean, I think it wasn't even a full hour after that she was checked and she was, she had gotten like up to nine and, and totally effaced and was ready to start, you know, pushing not soon after that. But it, it was just kind of shocking to, you know, to have even the midwife who up at, up until that point was just like so great about kind of letting things, you know, go the way that they were going. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's a really important distinction to make that we don't fall into this sort of like it's all bad doctors and it's always yeah. it's a systemic yeah. issue. Managed mm-hmm. care is systemic. It's not yeah. really about what kind of care provider. And you know, I don't know if you've heard the term midwives, but that's something worth knowing. You know that many clients may hire a midwife and leave that experience feeling like they had medwives, medicalized midwives working in a mm. hospital where they really weren't receiving what they hoped was going to be the midwifery model of care and whatever idea they had about that, which was, you know, I think most clients would feel is more of a hands-off, less-managed type of approach doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that's what they're going to receive, especially mm-hmm. when midwives are working under the confines of a hospital. So mm-hmm. they're watched. They're feeling pressure. And I know this, talking to midwives in the hospital that either leave because they can't take mm-hmm. it anymore or they, you know, are kind of, it's like this hybrid managed care type of midwifery. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's like its own, it's, that's its own sect, I would say. There's mm-hmm. like obstetricians, medwives, midwives, 
homebred midwives. You know, there's lots of different types of practices or an OB that's practicing in a midwifery model of care or a midwife mm-hmm. practicing in a practical yeah. model of care. So these are, you know, if you don't, I think it's just very important to have these conversations in a prenatal. And I think the way we go about it is equally as important because you're right. We don't want to scare people. Um, but it's really not about that. It's about them. It's about kind of like opening up this larger um, perspective of the culture of birth. And that's pretty easy to do when you do a, even a quick like summary of just tracking the history of birth in America. And, you know, you talk about, well, these are the cesarean rates now, or this may be the induction rate at this hospital, or, you know, these are many feelings that come up for people if they feel like they're being managed in their birth. Um, because you're right, people start to make concessions to compartmentalize an experience. And sometimes that's necessary to feel positive about an experience. And as a doula, we don't always say, you know, um, it's really not our job to then insert and say, well, that's not what I saw. When they said your cervix was incompetent 20 times, I had this experience, right? We're not going mm-hmm. to share those personal reflections, but mm-hmm. you start to see how insidious language is. It just slips right in, and it's the messaging that the, that the body gets that the baby is also receiving, that the whole family is hearing about, um, yeah, essentially, your bot, we can do this for your body and we can do it faster and more effectively than you can. And we're not really willing to wait, right? So you're going to feel that as the doula and have your own experience about that. And when you have the conversations beforehand about that, like this is what managed care may look like, then maybe, you know, your clients do feel more informed or when someone says things like incompetent cervix or ineffective contractions or slow to progress and you're, you've already talked about that in a prenatal, when that language is used, you know, maybe those are the red flags that come up for your client to say, hmm, mm-hmm. I, we already talked about that and we, I kind of knew I might feel a certain way if I heard that. Or mm-hmm. to reframe that language, you know, to come in with new words you know, what is failure to progress? An unwillingness to wait? Mm-hmm. You know, failure to progress. Um, you know, how else can we say that? Um, let's let let's commit to more let's commit to deeper trust right now. Let's commit to not knowing but trusting that things may just take more time. Okay, we can do that. You know? Because I think what's and this is just my own personal feeling, is what's so painful is I feel like people just aren't given the chance to explore what's possible. Time and time again, they're cut off too soon. And And they get a question. Yeah. This is Deepa. Um, I have a question about what you're kind of talking about, about encouraging kind of slow doula you know, technique and just taking it slow and trusting your body. Um, how do you or anyone who wants to chip in, I think one of the things that, that feels challenging to me is um, this question of, like, not managing people's medical care. And so if you're in a situation where you're with a laboring mother and 
you're with a laboring mother and the doctor is, or the doctor or the midwife or whoever is presenting this evidence of like, you know, your contractions are not progressing as quickly as they should be or your, you know, whatever, right? It can be anything. Like the baby's past meconium and so we need to get the baby out right now. Like they're presenting this medical justification for an intervention. As the doula, how do you kind of toe the line between encouraging a mom to take her time and trust her body, but not, you know, like not wanting to put her at risk, obviously, or not wanting to contradict medical evidence? Yeah. I I, I feel like I really like to... Um, like so one one handout that I always make sure that my like my clients pack in their bags is um you know their like their i guess sort of their questions for any time that they have to come to a decision about anything so you know it and it's from um the birth partner um but it's like you know um what are the it sort of you know spans spans the you know what are the alternatives what are the um, you know what are the risks what are the benefits um, what happens if we don't do this what happens if we do this then what next like it kind of you know runs through um, you know sort of potential scenarios but that way it also makes it also empowers the you know my 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 the clients to do this kind of asking. Um, because I think for, and, and, you know, again, you know, Push talks about this with, you know, there are risks and benefits or, you know, potential side effects or advantages for, like, everything. And so it's a matter of, you know, you, if of the client, you know, knowing what all sides um, of, of the decision um, are and and risking and 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 figuring out like what they're comfortable with and getting them used to doing that with their provider like before you know it comes to the birth is is really important and and I I put that usually on the partner yeah and I make yeah. them practice with me I like I think the experience play. that I had was um a little bit skewed because it was a mom who was planning to deliver mm-hmm. in the birth center and ended mm-hmm. up delivering in a hospital and had no partner. And so mm-hmm. it was like me and her mm-hmm. like making all these decisions kind of like yeah. You know, yeah. but I, re- I that makes perfect sense like to just mm-hmm. ask the question what are the risks, what are the benefits, you know, mm-hmm. and then have that conversation rather than just mm-hmm. get caught up in this like landslide of Mm-hmm. you know, quick decision-making, and then you feel like you lost your autonomy when you look back on it. Right, yeah, I, right. I do something very similar to Arsley. Like, I, you know, I always say uh, when you get to the hospital, there could be some time before you see your care provider, you know, um, depending on where you are um, within the labor itself, if you're, like, laboring at a hospital. So, like, on your birth preference sheet that you bring that's, like, has their pertinent information, you know, like uh, she's strep positive or this or that or, you know, their, their ages and all that. Um, also have, like, we would not, we would prefer not to have any medical in- intervention and then add those things that Arsley was saying 
if this is, comes up, what are the alternatives to A, B, or C? Like, so really having it extensive, like really making sure to bring a bunch of copies so that when you get there and the nurse who comes in and says, I'll be your nurse for the evening or the day or whatever, hand her one and say, please share this with your coworkers if they're going to be in and out of the room. These are the things that you really need to know about us the most. And, you know, it also has certain trigger words. Like I had a mom who just didn't want to hear the word epidural at all. Like that word just really brought on this, like, fear. Um, she was just not, like, she didn't trust herself that it, like, she was going to go through the whole process naturally. So she just didn't want anyone to bring it up because she wanted to just try and kind of, like, tunnel through, um, you know, uh, as best as possible on her own. So it said on the sheet when we brought in, it said, like, trigger word is epidural. Like, do not utter it. If you do, you will, like, leave the room immediately. So, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that having all of those resources on hand helps, and it's a good reminder for the doula, you know, if you're feeling like you're in a position and you're... Mm-hmm. The hardest part about this scenario, honestly, though, is that there's a big difference between medically indicated emergencies and mm-hmm. managed controlled obstetrics or midwifery or whatever you want to say. Right. It, like it's not always, and this, like this for me, this, it just comes with, has, has come with experience where I can see that something is starting to turn and I see hours before, you know, hours and hours and hours before potential they're already watching her through a certain lens. And it's just there's a lack of openness there. It really is. And it's managed care. It, that's what it is. It's a system of managed care. Now, it's not only just how someone's being treated. What does that do to that person's hormones, right? Like when you're working with a client and they're suddenly starting to dodge suggestions every hour or vaginal exams every hour or suggestions that are about changing what they want, obviously that affects the mind-body connection in a huge way, you know? Um, And it makes it a lot harder for anyone to relax and for oxytocin levels to rise and endorphins to rise and relaxing to release and all the things that we know we want the body to do in order for the normal physiologic process to happen. So it's not like we're working on all the all of these levels, and when someone's constantly using language or seeing the body through a lens of managed care, that affects the hormones. That affects how someone feels safe or how someone trusts someone or not. So a lot of the work that I think we can do is really bringing back that power to the client, really doing that deeper work with the person about what their own self-determination is. Like, what do they know themselves on that level going into the birth? Are they committed? Do they really know what that, 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 that they have the resources they need to give themselves whatever they need, not what they're going to be hoping they're going to get from a nurse if they hand the paper to them or not even what we're going to give them? Emma? I wonder yeah. if you could, you could, Safia, I wonder if you could speak to 
to the aspect of managed care, and, and specifically I'm thinking of when they're administering Pitocin, when, okay, and as the book says, you know, it's eight times worse than natural labor and these sorts of things. So, I mean, they, they, they come into the space um, knowing that they are already being managed. You know, well, mentally, mentally they understand that, and then their their specific expectations. So they're expecting that okay, they're gonna accept the pitocin, but at low dosage. And what what do you say? Or I think where I felt very unprepared is that her body was not responding to the pitocin. Right, that can happen for sure at all. Yeah. So there were no contractions, and they kept on upping it. Yeah. And there were no contractions, and then the doctor would say, oh, well, your cervix is as hard as cement, you right. know, and that sort of language of saying, oh, well, let's go back to the whole idea that, you know, we did have um, not enough amniotic fluid, but the water broke, so why go back? When when you couldn't get the pitocin to do what you want to do, um, then why why go back to trying to say well maybe your your baby's in danger and we just don't know what's going on, you know? For for me, when that then was turned around to me, um, I felt like then I was being pushed into being a second opinion medically. And I'm not. No. I'm not. I, I, I can't give any information as to why your amniotic fluid went low or why did the baby stop kicking and does that affect the cord, um, you know, buoyancy so that there's not, not enough oxygen to the baby. And so it, it, felt, as if, it felt as if my role was being changed in the in the whole sense of them um being managed you know yeah i think yeah. i was prepared for that i yeah. really really was not prepared for that and so i don't know if you can speak to that well i think in you know, every birth is so unique and so there are going to be births where there may be pitocin administered but your client feels like they're making the best decision for their birth and they're okay with that you know there are other times where it, it's not going to feel that way or it's not going to work or the body's not responding or, you know, this, maybe there's an induction and her cervix wasn't, you know, ripened. And so, you know, maybe that baby would have been born two weeks later, but here you are in the hospital with somebody at a birth. Um, you know, there's so many unique situations for every single birth. But I, you know, and so how we hold that and meet those moments is is our work. I mean, that's where we step in and either we're watching this scenario go down thinking, gosh, how can I do something right now to support my client or, and support myself, right? Because we're also experiencing it. Um, it's, you know, because you are also part of this managed care system when you're in it, right? You know what that feels like. We, this is what this conversation is. I mean, I don't know how anyone else's body is feeling in this conversation, 
But just take a moment to just check in with how your body is right now on this call. You know? This conversation, I know for me, brings up all kinds of experiences and memories and physical sensations of Mm -hmm. what control feels like. And then how unconditional support is met with these feelings. Like how do we bring ourselves to these really difficult situations, to this really difficult um, scenario that's happening all over our country and world, to women, to families, to people. It's not easy. You know, I know for me it can feel like a huge tidal wave that's very overwhelming. So, like, you know, part of having this conversation is getting out of the let's fix it mind and just experience the enormity of what it can feel like at times. Because we're going, we could talk about, you know, a million and one things we could do with our clients. We're going to give them resources. We're going to help them with their self-determination. We're going to do deeper healing work. We can do body work. We can do hypnosis. We can do yoga nidra. We can have the birth plan written out. We can have them at the right hospital or the right with the right care provider with the lowest induction rates and the lowest cesarean rates. We could do all these things, you know. But I think essentially we're talking about this this other relationship we have to what pushed is talking about, which is a systemic issue happening historically now. You know, um, and we do our best. We do our best. We try to do our best. We try to bring in this other element of consciousness, of awareness, of capacity to hold and maybe break through a scenario so that there's more space or we're going to hold pain in a moment. We're going to hold, like Arsley was sharing, she had a different experience of that birth. Her clients walked away feeling like, okay, wasn't, you know, wasn't maybe what I wanted, but, you know, overall it was a great experience. But for Zula, you're holding something else. Mm-hmm. And so then where do you put that? How do you continue to set yourself free of those emotions too, of that responsibility? Because that's a lot to hold over years and years and years. It does require a lot of self-work. You know, and I think it kind of connects to some of the conversations we've had about getting out of the managed care mind mentality psyche that we talked about with induction. It's a similar thing. It's like, how do we approach this? And is it possible to create more space? I want, to, I want to share before our call ends some of the things people are writing in so that their voices can be part of the call, too. Annie's um, been on the chat line from Germany. So I want to say, I want to go back and just read what um, she shared from in the, earlier in the call. Um, after Shoshana talked, she said, I second what Shoshana is saying and want to add that the L&D trend is like any capitalistic system of beliefs and actions. But this ends up meaning that if we stand in any way challenging it, we can seem threatening to the basic philosophical and cultural beliefs people found their lives on, how they see themselves as individuals in society. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why it's such an apt question. MA, you asked, how do we bring this type of info to our clients? It's a real challenge. 
Mm-hmm. After you shared our suggestion, they do research and ask questions. Then they learn themselves what they need, what they want to know. That's most of what you see in Germany. If anyone is curious, he um, said midwives. There's a law that every birth has to be attended by a midwife. While that protects midwives' careers in a way, it also majorly systematizes them. And mm-hmm. the practice in hospitals, because as of a couple of years ago, there's no insurance available for midwives to attend home birth. I just told her, um, we'll share with the group. She wrote, by hospitals, I actually mean hospitals or birthing centers. There are several birthing centers in Berlin, each with its own philosophy. So kind of painting a different, you know, picture of what's happening around the, around the world, but similar themes of how birth is becoming so systematized mm-hmm. and regulated. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, you know, I'm sort of, I just want to, I guess I'd like to end the call with just asking you, like, how are your bodies feeling right now? What does this conversation do for you um, on mental, physical, emotional, spiritual level? Because, you know, it feels like that's what we end up carrying with us as doulas when we read a book like this and we have a conversation. We're attending birth in this environment. I just want to give you a chance to share. What does that mean for you and what do you want to take forward? Maybe we can end there to kind of close the call. Like what, what's needed to take forward when we're holding all of this? Um, I, I right now feel just very like emotion, like this conversation for me makes me feel very emotionally heavy and it's really, it's a hard conversation for me to have, but Mm -hmm. it also really just inspires me to move forward and really, you know, a huge part of our jobs is really to empower our clients, to encourage them to ask questions, to educate themselves and it can be really overwhelming, but I think if you really just take it step by step with your clients, um, it can actually, you know, it can have positive results. But yeah, it can be. It, it's hard. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is Amanda. I um I have a, a second prenatal this afternoon with a client, and I'm nervous going into it. Um, uh, after reading this book and and we're talking with everybody and just how I will present um, all of this to my client. I don't want to have her feel this heavy load, um, but uh, it's... Um, I, I feel like I, I, I'm, like, trying to come up with questions of just, you know, they, they went on their hospital tour and asking them how did they feel when they were there and um, talking about what their goals are and um, and work from there to make sure that they feel they are at a safe place and um, work from that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Maybe asking them, you know, like, what when you like when you feel safe or when you feel secure um what do you need to feel secure what are the things that help you feel secure mm-hmm. and doing kind of like a guided exercise with them exploring that sometimes i'll just say you know how do you know when you're being supported and what are the ways 
that, you know, you support yourself. And to ask, they have a partner, you can ask them that too. Those are the things that can be created with a couple, with you as a client, and that can be the foundation of the relationship at the birth. It can even be created between them and their baby. I think what I get from it is just that I need to to manifest slow doula with mm-hmm. my clients in that, you know, the whole world anymore moves very quickly. We have everything in our fingertips. You know, it's kind of managed care is just a small part of how the world is changed. Um, mm-hmm. I think that being able to practice slow doula will help me help the client manage the illusion of a trial of labor when really what most people get is a fake trial of labor. I'm like equal parts just it sad like in in just sort of a really profound way um, yeah. but also really angry <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and um, and and also I mean honestly like frightened um, yeah. You know, frightened about, like, what it's going to be like for my daughter when she's old enough to be having babies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely definitely recognize that frightened feeling, but I remember the, the midwife that was in Push, Kaylee, who was put mm-hmm. on trial, um, mm-hmm. where she just feels um, there has to be like a swing back to women Mm. trusting their bodies again. And um, and she she says, I think there will come a time when we will remember and we will rediscover, perhaps it will be so distant that we'll feel we have discovered the intrinsic value of birth under one's own maybe we have to revolve back to a place where we realize all this is folly, that we can't control health in the ways we think we can. And in fact, the most important and valuable thing we can give ourselves is a woman under her own steam bringing her babies forth. And that also really rang true to me in thinking about my daughter. And um, and I'm hoping that uh, that she and her peers will feel that steam again. So um, it's it's sad, but I'm leaning toward hopeful too. <laughs> um, so yeah, just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> Thanks for reading that quote. Yeah. So you know, I think when Danielle's talking about slow doula, when I think about the like the the core of that, it's that just the heart's capacity to hold it all. 
that our work is doing like I feel like it's for me the word always is capacity like if there's no edge to that it just it has the ability has the capacity to, to grow and get bigger and bigger and expand more and more and more and that capacity is incredibly strong and trustworthy and in it is are all of these emotions that come up for us as birth workers. Right? But there is this much, much larger container to holding it that doesn't seem to have an edge or a boundary. As for me, reading the book um, really brought up a lot of anger. And I think I think for 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 all of us really it's just a sense of injustice and um and wanting to do more more for our clients, more for family. Mm-hmm. Um I think though what it is pushing me towards with that kind of heavy pit feeling somewhere in your stomach, um is that it's given me a very different uh, view of um, how I go about creating relationships and how I go about um, supporting. For me, it, it, it's just changing. I mean, not that I, it was a bad sense that I had of support, and the relationship I give to clients, but it's more because of this sense of injustice. Um, it is helping to push me to um, really, really care for each couple or each mom and her baby as if she was my own family member. And so it will allow me to dig deep and and bring out whatever is within me when my brain can't make sense of of the situation that we're in. Because I like that you said, Amy, we are we are in the whole management of it as well, you know. And so um, I really feel deeply for the mothers here who are looking forward in regards to to their own daughters. I mean, I have nieces. I don't have my children yet, but I have many other persons who I care about. And so it's, it's, for me, it's not so much of a client relationship now. It, it's just more of a it has always been more of a community, but it has more of a real sense of community. When I see mm-hmm. that beautiful bump on the road now, you know, it's not just a beautiful bump. <laughs> you know, there is a sense of of how can I help to safeguard that experience, that birth, that right to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Does anyone else want to share before we say, say goodbye for now? 
Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the call today and for sharing so much. And um, I'm so glad we have this support, uh, you know, of this group and each other. And you know that um, <clears throat> when I feel when I feel overwhelmed in this work, I definitely tap into the energy of the doulas that that are out there that are so committed to making this change possible. Amazing amazingly all over the world you know and so the work is happening we are trying to shift this every day um and that's quite a force to tap into too so thank you for for the work you guys are doing thank you emmy thank you thanks emmy before before we leave the call can i can I say something real quick about Thursday? Is that allowed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anybody who I, I put, um, I, if you didn't get an, an email invite for a Google Hangout, if you want to participate in the, um, in the weekly um, calls, um, just to sort of check in and see how we're doing with, like, moving along with certification and everything, um, just shoot me an email and I'll send you um, an invite to the Google Hangout. Otherwise, um, you know, as just like two weeks before, everyone's welcome to come over here or, you know, if anyone else wants to host, um, that'd be cool too. Um, yeah, 10 a.m. Who is uh, speaking? I'm sorry. Oh, this is Arsley. Oh. Great. So great that you guys are getting together. I love it. <laughs> I wish I could come too. <laughs> Just drive down. It's quick. Only <laughs> <laughs> five hours. Only five hours. Right. Have a great Monday, everyone. Have a great Monday. Love you. love you guys. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.